Inside Tourism. You're listening to the City World Radio Network, high-definition digital radio broadcasting from the city to the world, www.cityworldradio.com. Welcome to Morph Mom Moments. I want to welcome all my listeners back, those of you, and I'm sure there are many, hopefully, I have no idea, and those of you who are new to tonight, welcome, and we're thrilled to have you. Uh, a quick introduction of exactly what you've gotten yourselves into tonight. I'm Kathleen Smith, and I'm the founder of Morph Mom, and uh, I started this about four years ago, and the reason I started was, as a former prosecutor, I stopped with three kids, tried to go back, they didn't want me back, and I couldn't figure out what to do. And I apologize to those of you who have heard this before and have tuned in and, and uh, heard my spiel, but for those of you new, I'm sure many of you can relate to this. It's a really tough time. There's no confidence. There are no connections. There's sort of like starting again, and where do you even begin? How do you start again? So rather than reinvent the wheel, I decided I was going to go out and interview all the women who had done it, whatever it is, who had figured out what to do, how to do it, the steps to take. And not just the steps to take, but more importantly, we're willing to share their journeys, what worked, what didn't work. And I think nowadays, sometimes it's almost hard to get people to share the things that didn't work. Everyone's so worried about saying, you know, oh, everything is so perfect. 
And in a world that's not perfect, it's it makes it much easier to go along when people admit that things didn't go as well. And I think it makes it easier for you then to proceed, knowing that others sometimes didn't exactly uh, succeed without some bumps and obstacles along the way. And it's the same for all of us. So that's how it all began. And I started interviewing. We now have about 600 interviews of women all over the country up on morphmom.com, M-O-R-P-H-M-O-M.com if you'd like to see some of those videos. And after that, I realized now it was enough for some to watch the videos, but others needed the actual physical connection. So I've now started hosting cocktail parties around the country as well in the cities that I go to to do the interviews. And people can make the actual physical connections and hopefully lasting connections as well. And when we come to a city near you, we also will bring speakers, speaker series, Uh, We're going to start classes coming to different cities, Uh, and the classes actually are really, really fun. They're twofold. We have one that's called uh, Morph Mom Masterclass, where we have retired CEOs who have come on board, and we'll sort of, we like to call it a fish tank as opposed to shark tank. They'll sort of mentor those who have an idea, have a business that's already going, and sort of help you get to the next step. And then we have another class, more of like a seminar, I guess, called, hmm, what do I do next? And that's when we kind of sit around and talk about you know, for the first time, maybe in a long, long time, somebody says to you, what is it you like to do? What is it that interests you? What gets you excited? And it's just sort of a self-reflective way to start thinking again about what to do. And in a long, long time, since somebody has asked what it is that you like, it's about time to, that's where you kind of start again to figure out what your next step is going to be. Also write for the Huffington Post, because the women I've met are amazing and these stories need to be shared. in every possible venue that I can, and now most recently, the radio show. And welcome tonight, and what's so exciting about the radio show is, again, we get to share stories, we get to speak with amazing women, and it's just a very exciting, as you all will find out tonight, 55 minutes of talk radio. Um, And I welcome you all to call in. It's 212-631-7553. If you have any questions or comments, and again, I just welcome you all to tonight. And I want to introduce my co-host tonight, Allie Danini and Lisa Danini, a mother-daughter team who are just amazing. Um, and now, without further ado, I'd like to introduce my guest tonight, a certified personal trainer and most recently author, Sarah Hayes Coomer. She's the author of Lightness of Body and Mind. A Radical Approach to Weight and Wellness. Sarah, I'm thrilled to have you here. It's quite an honor. And um, let me allow you now to introduce yourself and sort of how you came to be where you are. Well, um, I think that my journey started where a lot of other people, in particular women's journeys, start, um, which was in a pretty nasty place with my body. Um, which started um, as would be expected in my teen years. Um, And I found that I was essentially going into battle with myself. Um, I was uncomfortable with my skin and unhappy and sort of um, dancing around the edges of depression. And uh, it turned turned inward on myself. And I started um, some really unhealthy behavior patterns. And it got worse in college. And after college, I moved to New York City and found myself sort of surrounded by that, you know, concrete jungle of the city and just really was feeling kind of beat down um, by it all. And my response to it was to eat. 
And I was feeling like food was really the only thing that was giving me peace and calm. Um, and so I was going down a really ugly spiral with it all. Um, and I was a musician at the time and was just sort of slugging it out and temping and cocktail waitressing and doing all the things you do um, in your early 20s. And um, really felt like I was coming to sort of a crossroads and I felt like I was looking at some women that were in their 30s and 40s and seeing that they were fighting the same battles that I was fighting and it absolutely terrified me because the thought of doing that for another 10 or 20 years was exhausting. Um, so I started to try to look around and think about what else in my life is there anything anything else that I can find that I can think of that that gives me joy and peace and makes me feel at rest and um I decided not to worry about the rest just to kind of let the binge eating and all of that ugly stuff do what it was and try to sort of suss out something else anything at all that could that could got peace and ultimately I found that just looking up and especially in a city in the park, that I could get around trees and flight and even just walking. I would walk from my temp job, 30 or 40 blocks at the end of the day, just to have air in my lungs. And um, eventually found that that really did, it was another, it was an additional source of peace and calm and happiness. Um, so I ultimately decided that the city wasn't for me, and moved that for me anyway, so I moved to L.A., and um, got a lot more hiking in, and that started to feed that sort of call of intuition that was telling me what wasn't healthy and helpful for my body, which ultimately cleared up my mind a little bit, which made those decisions about when and how much and what to eat easier. And as that became easier, I hiked more, and then ultimately just decided that, that being physically active was something that was going to make my life as a whole better. So um, I decided to be a personal trainer and spent a couple of years just working a regular job and studying and training at UCLA and various certification programs. Um, became a trainer and I had a boyfriend at the time who told me that um, I shouldn't do that, that this would be a terrible idea and I was never going to be thin enough or famous enough to work with the celebrities that I would need to have in order to have a successful career as a trainer. Um, so I dumped him <laughs> and got rid of him and uh, kept going And because ultimately I didn't want to work with celebrities. I didn't want to work with people who were training for marathons. I wanted to work with people like myself who were really struggling and really didn't know where to start and how to start and how to be gentle with their bodies while also moving forward and getting better and getting healthier. Um, so I did that for, I've been doing that now for, 14 years and um, started writing the book a couple of years ago um, just to try to communicate that there really is another way to approach our bodies and to approach health and wellness as a whole. What made you decide to write the book? Um, you know, I was sitting on the beach in North Carolina. I already like I it. Just, <laughs> yes. And I was just feeling like something was settled 
in it, something was starting. It was just a glimmer of it, but something was starting to settle in me that was so radically different from um, the way that I had been approaching my body. Um, and the, the doors that I saw opening in my mind as a result of that were so moving and magnificent to me that I felt like all of the messages I was receiving from the fitness universe as a whole was was um, actually destructive. It wasn't helpful. And I couldn't find a voice anywhere that was saying, you know, what if, what if we try to approach our bodies by strengthening them rather than trying to deprive them or strip them down? And there just there was a voice out there, and I thought that it needed to be heard. Uh, it's so f- I was reading up on the book also and about things that you were talking about, how trying not to fit this perfect image and, and how yeah. it's depleting as opposed to helping your body, trying to get there. And what would you say when, when clients come to you, when they, are they thinking they need to get to that perfect body, that perfect magazine you know, image? That, or, or what are you seeing now with clients uh, as late? I do feel that there's a shift happening. Um, there's definitely the whole body positive movement is 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 helping to infuse people's perception of themselves um, in a little bit healthier way. Um, but that movement also tends to it tends to sit back on its heels a little bit so that people sort of say, well, it's all about accepting myself the way I am, which absolutely probably ninety percent of it is. But there also needs to be some sort of active forward motion toward getting better and feeling better and feeling more alive um, and light on your feet and easy in your skin. So, um, you know, I I feel like the idea of being perfect, first of all, no matter how much you lose, no one ever achieves that. It's never going to look like it does in the magazines. So um, I, I do feel like some of that is starting to get through to people on their own. But then I've also had people literally just walk out of my gym when, it, when I start to tell them, okay, well, that's not really what we're going to work on here. We're going to work on something else. And they, some people just don't like that. They, they want to find a way to get skinny as fast as possible, and that's the ambition. And that's just they're, they're just not going to hear me at that point. I love something you said. Um, you can't achieve the body you love doing the things that you hate. I think that's one of the fam- yeah. <laughs> my favorite things that you said. Um, and what do you find when you're trying to explain that to your clients? Like, how do you go about doing that? Well, I can find usually a long list of things that hate to do <laughs> <laughs> that they're doing or have, or have been doing over the years. Um, in order to achieve whatever they're trying to achieve. And, you know, usually people have a laundry list of those, you know, all the diets and all the schemes and all the plans and the pills and the boot camps and the training for a half marathon when they haven't, you know, they can't run a mile and that, that sort of thing. Um, and it generally leads to misery. So what, what we do is we actually talk about, we dive into those things and talk about how did it feel when you were doing it and then, did it work? Right. <laughs> usually that's the one that gets people, did it work? I mean, how, how you know, and usually the answer is no. Um, in fact, I ended up gaining more weight afterwards, that sort of thing. Um, so it's not too hard to talk to people about the things that they hate. What's harder is for them to find, to figure out what they genuinely, truly, authentically love 
that also contributes to their health and well-being. That's the hardest thing to suss out. But once they start to figure that out, then then they can start moving forward. And what, what people usually don't realize is how small those things can be at the beginning. It's especially important for them to be small at the beginning because they're so easy. They're just little tiny things that you might love to do that, that can, can sort of uproot your brain and uproot your habits and your patterns to get you going in a different direction. And then bigger opportunities present themselves. And how do you go about, speaking as someone who desperately needs that, to find something that I love that I can get excited to go do, how do you begin that exploration with somebody? Like, almost like the more fun thing, like trying to decide what is it that you desire? What is it that excites you? What will get you up to motivate you to do something? Where do you begin with in this process when it's this sort of, you know, is it a, uh, what, what sort of physical approach they're going to take or, or what their regiment's going to be? Right. Well, there's a couple things. Um, people, well, first, I mean, there, there's, there's, there's the small things that, for example, like, say you like enchiladas with queso poured over them. <laughs> and Which I do. There are, there's, there's red sauce, and there's green sauce, and there's, you know, there's all kinds of ways. You don't have to have, like, grilled chicken with steamed vegetables on the side. Um, in order to be getting healthier. So you can still get your enchiladas, maybe, but you get them with a different kind of sauce. Or you try, say, toast instead of white, or, you know, that kind of thing. Um, so that's, that's, that's one thing where you're really just looking for really, really small things. And you be, it's interesting how you start to, um, it, it just puts your mind in a different space because you start to go, I actually like this, and hey, look at this, I'm actually feeling better, and I'm not half asleep at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, so then I don't need sugar later in the night, and you know, it starts to sort of set off patterns. If you take the time and can step back long enough to perceive those things, then you can keep moving from there. And then for the bigger things, like exercise is a lot harder for, well, I don't know, it's, it's, it depends on the person. Sometimes exercise is harder, sometimes food is harder. But um, when it comes to exercise, you know, a lot of people just need to kind of access their bodies in, in a way that's different. So it can be playful, you know, it can be something like playing pool, you know, <laughs> or, or resting, or it could be, you know, anything that you can think of. Or a lot of people just need to start walking and just, they think it's nothing. They think taking a walk for 10 minutes on their lunch hour is worthless. It's wasted time. But it's, I, that, that one is the one that I've seen the most. People just, it just changes their lives when they do that because they start to think. They have 10 minutes of brain space to start to think about other things in their lives. And then they start to reach out to people and they get ideas and then those ideas grow the next day when they're taking home. And it's just something that they wouldn't have done otherwise. So there's that. And then you also, you know, sometimes people need kind of like subversive motivation. <laughs> sometimes like you can find, you know, somebody wants to compete with their sister <laughs> or, you know, somebody wants to like show an ex what they're missing or, you know, things like that can be really useful at the beginning. And then you actually start to feel better and start to, you know, maybe lose a little bit of weight or something like that. Then your motivation can change to a more positive, productive one. But whatever works for people is, is I think the best motivator. And it's true, but it's so hard to find what works. I think it's so overwhelming 
sometimes think, oh, God, I've got to go to this class because I've been going to this class and it's really hard. I don't like it. It's terrible. Yes. So I'm not so motivated do to That's go to it. That's my first answer to that. Do it. <laughs> right? But then by you, even just suggesting that a, a 10-minute walk in lieu of that is a way to start takes so much yes. of pressure off. There's so much pressure right now that you have to be doing this, 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 and this, and a simple walk. Or even I read somewhere where you mentioned even like stretching at night, doing a big stretching thing before you go to bed is just a way to get it started. Absolutely. I mean, there's a, you know, I have a newsletter where I do um, five-minute workouts. I'm not going to lose 50 pounds doing five-minute workouts. <laughs> but you're going you're gonna to get stronger. <laughs> And you're going to be taking a minute out to take care of yourself. And you're going to realize that you're capable. And that makes you feel more powerful and more interested and engaged. And it, it really does snowball. And taking that pressure off that you just mentioned is some of the biggest part of it. You know, part of the reason why we're in the mess that we're in, most of us, is because we have been just beating ourselves down since our bodies started sickening as adults, as grown-ups, when we went through puberty. And we, we perceive that as something to battle against from the very beginning. And we've been doing that to ourselves for 10, 20, 30, 50 years. And it puts us in this incredible cycle of pressure and guilt. And then we have this clash, which makes perfect sense. Because you start to associate, you know, binging or whatever it is that you're doing that's destructive as, as a release or release. As opposed to the things that could be a release that might not help you lose 50 pounds, but they will make you feel better in the process. Hi, so this is Allie, the co-host, and I actually have um, a question. So I personally know I really like to start new things. Like, I always love trying new things, but often, like, after six months, I get really bored of it. So I was wondering yes. with your clients, like, how you take them from that first step of finding something they love and doing it for six months and then moving them to the next level, which is either, like, continuing it and stepping it up or, like, I don't know, somehow getting them to the next level where it becomes a lifelong habit rather than, like, a new fad for six months. Yeah, well, I like to think of these things as ebb and flow. Like, maybe you're on a, you know, a kickball team or, um, you know, any any activity that you might enjoy, jogging or, you know, the, the standards or a class that you love or a new yoga or something that you're trying. Um, you know, they have to see it as... Um, as, as something that's authentic to that moment in their lives. And moms are such a, it's such a great example of that um, need because our lives with the phases of our children and, you know, when you first have a baby, it's one thing, and when you've got a 10-year-old, it's something else. And you, it's a different situation from month to month, and you have to be in touch with yourself and figuring out, okay, hey, this is starting to feel boring or this is starting to feel wrong, and you have to start kind of being a health opportunist. So you're looking for any and every opportunity to stimulate and uproot your body from the status quo. So you have to kind of be on alert. It requires mindfulness and awareness of, of how your body is adapting to what you're doing and also how your mind is reacting to it. So you have to be able to kind of go, oh, this is starting, I'm starting to recoil from this thing. So now let me see... Is it, do I need to adjust it? Do I need a different training pattern if I'm a runner? Or do I need to try a different class or something like that? But you have to be on, kind of on alert to be looking for those moments when things start to kind of stink and you feel kind of heavy and like you don't want to do it. That's, that's a signal to be looking for something else. 
I think that's so refreshing that you say that because I am guilty of that, that I'll start something and I'll say, oh, this is it. I'm going to do this. And then like, a weekend, I'm kind of done. <laughs> like, yeah, well, I'm coming up with excuses not to do it. But by doing that, you've already taken the pressure off of us feeling like we're not a quitter because we can't invest more than a certain oh. amount of time. But you feel like yeah, that. No, You're made to feel. Yeah, no, it will change. It should change. It needs to change. But it's funny because whether it's an inward thing or you are just, I don't know, you, you feel like everyone's sort of looking like, oh, you're not still doing this 37-hour regimen a day, like every single day. And you feel like, oh, I couldn't keep up with it. I'm done. Now what do I do? But I think what you're saying, like I said, takes off so much of that pressure. Like, you know what? It's great. I'm going to try something else. There's no pressure. That doesn't work. I'm going to try something else. But I think it's very hard to get out of that rut. And, and I think yeah. And another thing you're talking about there is we're reaching. You're talking about doing something that really starts to feel like deep down. It starts to feel like you're not. That's that. That's not taking care of yourself. And I've had oh, I can't even count the number of clients I've had who have come in here saying, "Well, I trained for half marathon, trained for another one. It was the most miserable thing I've ever done in my life. But I'm going to do another one because <laughs> I'm trying to lose the weight, you know." And they just they pound and they pound and they keep going in this direction that ultimately one day they twist an ankle or even if they don't twist an ankle they just just flat out give up and walk away from it all people regain a hundred pounds in the story of a client did that who just was pushing and pushing and pushing and she got so far but it was all from the wrong right so, and she would have gotten where she was going because she was on a great path and she knew what she was doing, but she just went about it too hard, too long. Um, it's, so we were talking today to Allie, my amazing co-host tonight, is a very recent grad of college. And so much, 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 much younger than I am right now. <laughs> much, 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 decades and decades. Uh, but much, much, much smarter than I am also. Um, so we were talking about this before we came in tonight and how Allie now, most recently, within a past month, I think, has a new appreciation for yoga. And she was saying, you know, this is something she never thought that she would be involved with prior to a month ago, but it's all begun. So Allie, actually, I want to ask you to explain to Sarah how this all came to be. Sure. So I was actually training for a marathon. So <laughs> Speaking of which. <laughs> new to do, and I'm incredibly inflexible. And I ended up um, slipping a disc in my back because I never like stretching after it. And so um, I decided to try yoga because I really needed to improve my flexibility, also to eliminate the back pain that came from slipping the disc. And it really yeah. changed my life. Like, I really, I started it a month and a half ago. And two months ago, if you told me I had started doing yoga every single day, I would have told you you were crazy. But um, I really love it. And it's like the one of that and like spinning are like the two only things I really like love to do in terms of exercise. And I actually like I was reading the the book and then like your bio and stuff. And I really just kind of hit close to home because I think once you find something you love to do and once you find something that you enjoy doing, you can build a community out of it and improves not only your fitness, but just like your whole life. Like it made my relationships with a lot of other things better because that part of my day was taken care of and every morning, you know, I'd either spin or go to yoga and that was an hour of my day that was just made the rest of my day so much better. And so every part of my life started improving. Yeah, absolutely. No, and that's that's the, you know, the, the community part of it is, is really important too. You know, we uh, as women and as moms need to find other people who, who share our interests and share our love. And really, if you look around at the women that are around who you love, 
and admire. It, it, you can see the value and the power in their bodies, whatever shape they might be, whatever they might think about their bodies. And, and we start to reflect some of that back onto ourselves and, and ourselves some of that appreciation that we're giving automatically without question to them, then it takes us a long way. And then if you're engaging in something that you, that you love to do, there's no, there's no struggle anymore. It's a completely different approach from what most people are doing. So that's awesome that you found that so young. That's great. So, Sarah, I have a question for you. So, so Allie, say, so a recent college grad has found this and as opposed to me, many, 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 I wouldn't say my age, but much older than that. Do you, <laughs> do you see a difference in, in younger women as opposed to older women having an easier way to commit to something? Do I see Because um, I have a much a, harder time a, committing, a terrible time yeah, committing. Yeah, I do think, I, I do think, well, first of all, there's a greater sense of open-mindedness and a willingness to try. So that's a huge advantage to begin with um, when, when people are young. I also feel like this younger generation is kind of the Lena Dunham generation. You know, they're kind of the, like, balls out, this is who I am, take it or leave it. You know, I am about my intellect, and I am about my comedy, and I am about my, my strength and my power. And that's why like, this generation actually has a great, deal of potential to really shift the whole approach to fitness and wellness that people of our generation maybe didn't, got off on the wrong track way too early. So I'm hoping that when they become moms, that they can start communicating that kind of thing to their kids, that we're trying to strengthen ourselves rather than trying to starve ourselves. Do you find that it's also easier um, with, like, the birth of, like, boutique fitness studios? Because I know from my personal perspective, it's a lot easier just because you could try a lot of different places out and find what really fits you. Um, whereas just, like, going to a gym and making it a really solitary act, I feel like, was previously the case, and that's no longer the case. Do you find that, like, this birth of, like, the fitness studio community really helps that? Oh, yeah, there's so many options. It's just a matter of people right. being open to trying them and putting themselves in physically awkward situations where they're like, I really don't know how to do this. This is weird. And, you know, and it, it's okay. It has to be okay. Um, it's, it's fun to kind of get like a group together and decide, you know, once a month we're going to go take a completely different thing or try a new studio or do a new thing that we've never done before and have that be just a, an expectation within your immediate community or tribe. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that sounds really accurate because I know I know the first class is always the most awkward. So if I ever do try a new studio, I try to bring like a <laughs> yeah, friend or my mom if really I'm home. It can be really scary because typically those you know those studios become such a community that it's hard to try. But if you bring someone along that you love and it's either they've done it before, in which case they introduce it to you, or if it's your first time, it's also their first time. So you're both the newbies. It makes it a lot easier. Yeah, you can just have a laugh, you know. And then if you hate it, you hate it, and that's totally fine, and keep going. Just That's the thing, is to, to keep looking and keep trying things. And then when it gets stale, keep trying something else. It's a dance, you know. It changes over time. And I just want to say for all my listeners joining in right now, I'm sitting here with co-hosts Allie and Lisa Danini, mother-daughter team extraordinaire. 
And my amazing guest tonight, Sarah Hayes Coomer, certified personal trainer and author of the most recent novel, Lightness of Body and Mind, A Radical Approach to Weight and Wellness. And we are thrilled to have you here tonight. Um, And if you'd like to call in, 212-631-7553. And I can't tell you how great this conversation is tonight. And we we actually just touched upon sort of a, a generational gap or difference in how we approach exercise. And growing up, it was like you would look at these magazines and you would think you're failing if you don't stay in this class or if you're not doing what everybody else is doing. You have to be doing that. And what Sarah was just saying to my co-host Allie tonight, who's younger, a recent graduate of college, is the hope is with this new generation that they will take away the expectations and take away the pressure and you do what you want to do. And if it works, it works. And if it doesn't work and so much as stretching at night or taking a walk is enough to get you started on this on this path and the path is not necessarily fitting this image that you thought you had to fit but more importantly feeling good about yourself this whole more of a mind body soul approach to life as opposed to what I look like in the picture but I have a question about that because as much as that is the case in this new generation we also have this whole new world of social media and we have Instagram and Snapchat and this constant pressure of and I guess uh photoshopping and which I don't even understand but it like <laughs> making you look better than you do which I wish I could figure out sometimes but how do you combat that at the same time so with our hope in the alleys of this world who you know are saying I'm going to go figure this out and we're going to find this out but how do you combat the social media part of it which says that may be true but look at this picture of me tonight and it's constant 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 so I don't know Sarah how do you feel about that yeah, well, I mean, I think social media can be used for good as well as for ill. So the thing would be to try to raise young women who are focusing their social media on their strengths and on their power and on the beauty that they see in the world that has nothing to do with being fit. So, you know, that is a tall task. <laughs> um, but I don't feel like there's a trend happens with that. So, um, you know, I don't have a daughter of, of a, I don't have a daughter, but I, I definitely don't have a daughter as a teenager, which is terrifying <laughs> to me. Um, but, um, you know, I, I just think the more we can reinforce that, and, and as old women, uh, I'm in my late 30s, um, we have the opportunity to set that example and to call them out when they are on the right track and to say, oh, that is such a killer shot of you, you know, doing down dog and whatever, um, but just to, to help nurture that. And then I think even more powerful girls like Allie or women like Allie can turn their peers and hold that bar up and have that expectation for their friends that, that that's what they're valuing in the world is, is, is their power and their strength instead of, you know, just beauty or old, it's really old, like when you look back, when you look at the imagery that, you know, those of us who grew up in the 80s and 90s held as being beauty, it's really kind of gaunt and weird and ugly, and I do think that people are starting to see it that way, so I I feel like there is a trend moving, and it's just a matter of strengthening that one while the other one sort of withers on the vine. I agree, you're right, so that's right, turning it around and using the social media to show not what you're expecting, but what is actually happening and what's out there. Yeah. Yeah. 
have a column that I write for a local paper that's called Simple Talk, and I'll just sort of pluck somebody, you know, and say, like, look at the beauty that's happening here in this woman, in this woman's life that is not what we would traditionally think of, but wow, look at what she's done and look at what she's doing to nurture herself and her loved ones around her. And it's just a little simple sort of spotlight on what that can be if we let it be. I loved one thing you talked about when, um, so like I said, growing up a gajillion years ago, it was about the control and controlling your diet and controlling everything. And you said to take away the control, you said there were three factors that you sort of, um, that you were a proponent of. One of which is the functional knowledge of how habits form. And this was my favorite, actually. The dizzy appreciation for the occasional falling apart, which I can appreciate because I'm not sure how occasional <laughs> definition could be possibly daily falling apart. I really appreciate it. Yeah. And then finally, how this laser focus upon this can bring you to that. But I actually want to go to the second point about the dizzying appreciation for occasionally falling apart and the acceptance of that. And uh, as my co-host here tonight realized, I literally am the example of that, (laughs) falling apart. But it just, again, it takes that pressure off. Like, it's okay that things didn't go so well or as expected or as people pretend they're supposed to be going. Um, And how do your clients fit into that? Like, how do they, when you're discussing this, how do they appreciate or do they appreciate that? And I think it's a tremendous well, most amount of, of them. Most of them don't. Most of them don't <laughs> to begin with. But um, I would say it's a step beyond it's okay. And actually, it's really valuable to be falling apart. <laughs> because those times when you are in the dank darkness and you really, um, you really feel like a mess and you really feel out of control and... Say you've just had an entire pizza and half of a sheet cake, <laughs> and you're going to bed, and you just lost it again. And this was after like a week of doing it. You know, you packed your lunch, you did your thing, you did everything right, and then. And I feel like those moments, if they're not filled with guilt and condemnation, they actually can be incredibly powerful to help you. If you can stop and go, how do I feel? How did that make me feel? Did that make me feel more alive? Or did it make me feel sad and broken and alone and frustrated? And if you can take those moments and leverage them, they can actually bring about their own demise because you don't want to be part of that. But... In order for that to work, you have to do that same thing with the whole week deprivation that you just did. (laughs) Because that didn't make you feel good either, which is why you binged on the weekend. So it has to become sort of a holistic observation of how these things are actually impacting you, body, and mind. So that you can, during the week, you're having little indulgences that make you feel happy and make you feel like you're not you know, in prison, so that by the time the weekend comes around, the impulse to have that binge is so much less. So I think it's about releasing the condemnation and just taking a step back and observing what you're doing from sort of a neutral place. So do you and that's the most... Go ahead. Do you find with this holistic approach that um, it's not just maybe like, maybe it's not at all like the deprivation or the diet that's robbing people that causes them to binge, but maybe like 
other lifestyle choices like relationships or work or stuff? And do you advise on that as like a holistic personal trainer, or do you just advise on like the fitness? I'm, I'm sorry, I'm having a hard time hearing. Can you repeat that? Oh yeah, sorry. So, um, do you find that um, when you're advising your clients, do you just focus on like the fitness and nutritional aspect, or do you notice that maybe it wasn't the diet per se that was causing your client to rebound or maybe it was more like a relationship or a or a work change or something like that and if so do you advise on that yeah no it's absolutely all tied together there's no question that the um there's a there's a story that i quote an article that i quote in the book um where the his name is harry h-a-r-i um he, he wrote an article for huffington post about um being in your cage, and he's talking about heroin addicts, actually, and about um, how the, the, the relapse rate for heroin addicts is so much higher when people are miserable in their lives and when they're actually feeling nurtured and whole, that it's just it's just astronomically higher that they're able to get off of the heroin. And this is true for any addictive substance or behavior, which is what we're doing when it comes to diet and exercise as well. Um, so I feel like your cage is everything in your life. It's your relationships and your career and are you contributing and do you have autonomy in your life and do you have, you know, is there joy? And if there's not, then those things are absolutely crucial. In fact, I probably, <laughs> you know, I'm sort of a therapist in my sessions. We spend like, you know, we're exercising, but we spend 90% of our time talking about what's going on in their lives and trying to find the ways that they can kind of nudge themselves along to a happier, freer existence, and that absolutely makes a huge difference in their ability to make those decisions when they're when they're feeling deep down. I thought that was a great question that Allie asked because really <laughs> deep down, it always is something. You know, if you're if you're having a high, a great week, you're so much more encouraged to go out and do everything you're supposed to do. Like taking that walk just feels even better. Or yes. anything you do, you so you know. Easy. So right. easier. Your stride is lighter. You're, you're, you know, everything about it. But if you've had something bad happen, it's just, it just culminates and attacks. And what is your advice? So when you go through one of those weeks, just one of those really bad weeks, the, you know, the, how do you get to the appreciation for that? Like, what, what is your advice with that? How do you get to your appreciation? I'm sorry, for what? So, so what, I was looking back to when you said, you know, sort of the dizzying, the dizzy appreciation for when things fall apart and sort of what Allie yes. was saying. So you've had this terrible week. So Allie having just graduated and many kids, not Allie, but, you know, having that terrible week of exams and everything's going wrong and you didn't get the yeah. right grade and you didn't, how do you transform that to an appreciation of what's going on, that things are bad and right. you can overcome that as opposed to just falling into the hole and you know, not knowing how to recover. Yeah. Oh, we have a call. Um, oh, Sarah, I didn't mean to interrupt, but we have a call. Um, <laughs> hold on. We have a caller right now. Hold on one second. Your stride is lighter. Your, oh, your, oh, hello. Hello. Hi. Oh, hi. Welcome to Morph Mom Moments. Hi. I just had a question for Sarah. Okay, and I just have one quick question. Do me a favor, turn down your radio in the background if that's okay. And, oh, um, yeah, sure. Perfect. Thank you for calling in. And what is your name? Hi, my name is Lisa. Hi, Lisa. Sarah, can you hear Lisa? Yes, yes hi, Lisa. hi. I'm listening in, and I love what you're saying, and I wish I had you in my life. I think I need you. <laughs> and I just have a 
a question that I feel like I eat really well, but I eat too much of a good thing. And I also, how yeah. do you break that chocolate addiction? It's so hard. Sarah, can you I, hear? I could hear, this, I, I could hear the beginning, but not the second half. Oh, wait, Lisa, go, could you repeat that again? Oh, okay. Can you hear me now? Yes. Can you hear me? Yes. Yes. Oh, okay. I was just calling because I have a chocolate addiction that is just insane that I can't break. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner. How do I, how do I shake that? Well, my advice, and this is one of the things that makes people walk out of my gym sometimes, (laughs) would be to say that you should not break that addiction. (laughs) That if if you truly, really love chocolate, then that needs to be something that's part of your life. So the, the issue doesn't become breaking it. It becomes finding a way that you can build it in steadily and regularly so that you know reliably that you will have a single day of your life. You don't want to buy the kind of chocolate that happens to make you want to eat insane huge amounts of it. <laughs> so you want to nice. find kind of a happy medium of whatever, make it extra dark, or if you like it with almonds, get it plain, or if you, you know, whatever. But finding a way where you have it in the house, you know it's coming every day, you know that it's going to be part of the deal, but it's, it's there in a way that's not going to be unmanageable and not going to send you out of control. And what happens when you start to know that that's coming and you're not trying to resist it every day, then you don't eat a whole bunch of it because you know you're going to get more tomorrow. So you don't feel like, okay, well, I'm going to eat this whole thing right now, but I'm going to stop tomorrow. But then that doesn't happen. So it it continues on and on. So the thing to do is to know that it's coming, plan on making it happen, and then just do it in a way that's not quite as tempting. That's good advice. I will will try. (laughs) It's so hard. But I, I wish I had you in my life. You sound wonderful, and uh, I, I can't wait to learn more about it. Thank you for answering Great. my question. Thank, Thank you, Lisa. You. Thank you, Lisa. Okay. Okay, bye. And then not only is that a great question, I can't tell you how happy everyone in the studio is right now. We all have smiles on our faces knowing that we could actually eat chocolate every single day. (laughs) Every day. I eat it every day. This might be the best interview I've ever had in my (laughs) life. I've never been this happy before. Now, can we throw cake batter into that as well? (laughs) I have to admit, I did have my 13-year-old make, we were making cake yesterday, and I, I thought, oh, I should probably discourage you this, but I was so hungry and so craving cake batter that it was the best idea in the entire world. So I would not walk out of your studio purely because of your advice about being able to eat something every day. So we have a, another a, a special co-host tonight, Mariah, who has a question for you as well, Sarah. Okay. Hey, Sarah, how are you? Can you hear me? Uh, yes. Awesome. So um, I actually just started um, my journey in working out, and I have um, a friend of mine who's kind of like my personal trainer. He's been awesome, uh-huh. and like I've noticed already like results when it comes to my um, sizes. When it like I try on things, I can actually fit into them. Uh, so what I have to ask you is, how do you feel about like the whole counting calories? Because I do that consistently. I use um. Uh, my fitness pal and I feel like it's worked for me um a huge deal however like what do you think about that like are you a fan of it would you encourage your um you know people that you are training to do that or not you know here's the thing about counting calories and Fitbit and 
all the ways we are constantly measuring ourselves. <laughs> um, these can be really interesting and useful educational tools. Mm-hmm. So if you feel like counting your calories for a week or two weeks or maybe even a month is helping you understand what's happening Mm -hmm. and helping you learn about what you might have been doing that you didn't realize you were doing, then that can be useful. Beyond that, I really try to pry people away from all of those crutches and start to have them get in touch with how the food actually makes them feel. Mm. So does it make you feel heavier or does it make you feel lighter? Does it give you energy? Does it make you sleepy? You know, that sort of thing. So that you can start to have an intuitive feeling about it so that you can Mm. just live your life ultimately because that's the goal is to be free of this whole thing, right? You don't want to spend your whole life counting everything that you put in your mouth. So the idea ultimately is to get away from that. But if you feel like it's useful and helpful, then for a short time, it, it, it can be it can be helpful. And I have a question about that. So I have been trying hard now that metabolism has kicked in or has gone away, <laughs> completely disappeared from my life apparently, which is absolutely depressing. Trying to get it back. But I think that Sundays I sort of consider a cheat day, and I'm sure this is absolutely the wrong way to do it. And when I say cheat day, I eat anything in my, that I can reach at the time. But how do you feel about sort of a cheat day? Or is it better what you were saying, you don't need a cheat day because every single day you're not being deprived of something. You can taste the chocolate every single day. Yeah, I mean, cheat day implies that everything else is deprivation. <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's an interesting metabolic um, situation, a cheat day, because it actually, if you are depriving your body most of the time and sort of limiting everything you're putting into it, then a cheat day gives your body a chance to go, oh, I don't actually have to hang on to every ounce of fat, because if you cut calories too low for too long, your metabolism will drop. So um, a cheat day can be a nice boost for your metabolism, but overall, my idea would be to do that on a daily basis to have a natural flow of giving your body your little bump of chocolate or whatever it is so it constantly knows that it can burn it's fine it can burn it can burn what you, the energy that you have on hand um so that you can burn fat and ultimately lose weight but you know um you know i think so you i, I would rather you have a, a little cheat moment every day than have a whole than have a cheat day in the middle of a week i like how that sounds <laughs> can cake batter be part of that cheat moment uh, and, and actually, about the metabolic thing. So I have a question for you now. Allie being and Mariah actually both being much much younger, um, and Lisa as well. Uh, how when do you think the metabolic plunge happens? Is it they say you know you hit forty, and it's gone, and it all has to switch, and it's terrible. And I like to think that's why this has happened to me <laughs> because it's not my fault. <laughs> But how do you, like, what is your position about that with this whole metabolic change and what we do about it? Yeah, well, I mean, body is always Whether you're going through puberty or you're graduating from college or you're having a baby or you're sending your kids off to college or whatever, whatever phase of life, you know, you're in menopause, whatever it is that you're in, you're in a constant state of flux. So, so again, it has about your particular body and your situation. Usually, people put on, I can't remember what the statistic is, it's like a pound a year 
that's a, <laughs> for a lot of people, it's more than that. Yeah, but, I'm uh, thinking a pound um, a day. Most people don't have income from 20 to 40, which from 20 to 40 would pack on 20 pounds, and usually it's more than that. So, um, you know, it's a matter of, and this is why I really love, I've had a couple of clients that, um, both of whom came to me, their parents came to me because their daughters had eating disorders in their teens, mm-hmm. and um it has been absolutely extraordinary to work with girls at that age because if you can get in early with this kind of mindset before they start beating themselves up, then they don't ever really get into these cycles and they tend to, you know, these girls happen to be overweight at the time um, and they tend to kind of level out and stabilize over time. And then as they go into their 20s and their 30s, they can take a minute and go, well, all right, I'm having a baby right now, so it's okay. <laughs> and then, you know, okay, well, who do I want to be as a mom now that I've got, now that I'm done having babies? And who, who do I, what body do I want to live in and how is the way that I can nurture and support that rather than trying to strip it down? Um, so, oh, Sarah, I have one. This is Lisa. I have one question. You talked about um, some of your clients when they started off and just getting them to make small changes, walking for 10 minutes at lunch or whatever. Um, What does your client look like at the end of the process? Like where are they, what what systems do you want in place for them when you say, okay, you're ready to go on your own? Hmm. Or do, do they get to that point? Well, that's up to them. You know, I have some clients who've been with me for 10 years just because they like to come hang out and do their thing. Um, And they know that they won't do it on their own. But um, I have other, you know, I have a client who came to me about eight months ago, nine months ago. um, And she's been doing her walks at lunch. She replaced Doritos with, um, like, barbecue rice chips from the health food store. And she stopped drinking ginger ale. And she has lost 20 pounds over the course of eight months. How many pounds? And 20. Wow. And it's, that's it. She exercises with me once a week. She takes a 10 o'clock at lunchtime and she has replaced those two food items with healthier items. That's amazing. And she has lost 20 pounds. And so, but she is just astonished by this because she's been going around these cycles and gaining and losing 20, 30, 50 pounds over and over and over again mm-hmm. her whole life, and now she's in her 40s. And people just don't, they don't believe, they want a quick fix, and they don't believe that those little changes are mm-hmm. It's huge. If they can stick with it believe and rely on it and keep looking, if they stop losing and they're not happy about it, maybe there's some other little small change they can find. I had a um, I had a habit for a while of eating at one of those little kind of York peppermint patties after lunch every day, which uh-uh. I thought was like my plan to be okay. Well, this is sweet and it's also a mint, so it's refreshing. <laughs> so after lunch, and I thought this was like my plan to lose weight, and I started to realize that I was actually triggering a cycle of. It had nothing to do with the calories that was in the York peppermint patty, but it was triggering a cycle that was then making me sleepy around 3 o'clock, which was making me want a snack, which was making me feel bad by dinner time, which was making me just want to forget the whole thing, and then I was eating whatever I wanted, and then the thing in the cabinet after the dinner, and then the other thing, and then the other glass of wine, and the whatever. And it was just starting this incredible, and it was so small. It was this 
tiny little thing. And when I replaced that with just a mint, <laughs> then the whole cycle started to lift. But I had to pay attention to that. And I had to be aware enough to go, hey, what if I just try this one little thing and see what happens? People have to give themselves space to figure that kind of stuff out. I'm guessing my 3 o'clock Coke every day is not from that. Yeah, <laughs> Coke. Yeah, so does the feast. <laughs> thinking, oh, yes, then I have to nap, then I have to get up, and then I have to eat cake batter. The whole thing is a bad thing. <laughs> um, right. Wait, Sarah, I can't... I, I wanted to say one more thing about sure. the question you were asking me right before the caller called, before Lisa called, um, but, which was, you, you were asking about how to handle when you're in those kind of dark times, and you've got to see those, and how to handle those. Um, and you want to be having, over the process of this, when you do give yourself a little space and you do step back, you start to build this kind of infrastructure around yourself of core healthy habits, whether it's the walk at lunchtime or skipping the peppermint patty or whatever it is, that you know that you can rely on, that you know make you feel better, that also contribute to your health, so that when you're in, I call it the blur, when you're in the blur and you're completely lost and you feel terrible and you can't make any right decisions and everything's a mess. You just go, okay, so I'm just going to take my 10 minute walk every day at lunch. And, and that in and of itself, it's like an anchor that you can hang on to and it starts to free you to kind of get into some of the other stuff. So I just want to throw that out because it's really important. Sarah, I think, and I can't believe our time is up. That was the best way to end our show tonight. I, I'm so sad we're done. You need to come back because I have many more things. To, I think I'm in a constant blur. Um, I want to thank my mother team duo of amazing co-hosts tonight, Lisa and Ali Dineti. Mariah, thank you for stepping in. Uh, Jade, amazing night as well. And Sarah, you are the very best, and I can't wait to have you back. And to all, we'll see you next Thursday. Good night for Morph Mom thank Moments. You. Yeah. Thank you Bye. so much. It was a blast. Thank you for coming. Bye. Are we off now, Jade? Voted number one jazz cabaret club by New York Magazine, the Metropolitan Room is one of the most critically acclaimed venues in New York City and is known as the home for big-name talents and rising stars. Known as a celebrity hangout, the Metropolitan Room is a high-end cabaret and jazz club and brings the best in live music to New York City every night of the week. Fabulous award-winning Broadway, TV, film, and radio performers take the stage in an intimate 115-seat elegant venue. Aside from the great highly professional artistic shows and audience, Metropolitan Room provides an exceptional appetizer and dessert menu as well as exotic and specialty drinks prepared by top New York City bartenders. The Metropolitan Room is located at 34 West 22nd Street, conveniently located near public transportation. For information or reservations, call area code 212-206-0440. Once again, the area code is 212-206-0440. Or go to their website at www.metropolitanroom.com. You are listening to the title track off the new City Boys All-Stars album, When You Needed Me. The City Boys All-Stars will be performing at the Cutting Room on 44 East 32nd Street in New York City. 10 p.m. hit. 
For ticket information, call 212-691-1900. Once again, City Boys, 